Hello, Jordan. Hello, Michael. How's your cardio this morning? Angry. Angry cardio. I'm angry. Is it the same reason that we spoke about last night? Is that where the anger is stemming from? For all, <laughs> I have so much. I have so much that I want to say. First of all, I just did 45 minutes of low intensity, steady state cardio, which was purely inspired by you and your your zone two professionalism as of late. And uh, I've been a little off my cardio game. I've been more of like a bro lifter. And one, it felt so good to get that sweat and like the the I don't know if it's actually endorphins, but whatever's going on in the brain that feels good. But two, yeah, like we spoke about yesterday, I now truly believe that there is no motivation other than anger. <laughs> like in not just for me, in the world. And and I still believe, like, thought of this analogy. I had the best ideas I've ever had in my life doing this 45-minute cardio session, by the way. <laughs> Shout out to Jordan for being such a proponent of cardiovascular health. Uh, remember that Michael Jordan or the the Bulls documentary, the Jordan documentary, and remember when he had the- last the, dance. Yeah. He had the scene where after some game, he said that after a loss, some guy came up to him and was like, like good game, Mike, yeah. or like something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. And then he used that as fuel for the next game. And then in the next or in the documentary, reflecting back on it, he was like, he admitted, he was laughing. He's like, he didn't actually say that. Yeah. He's he like, just I made, made the whole up. situation up just to like make him angry. <laughs> <laughs> to, to motivate himself to come back and dominate the next game, which is exactly what he did. Uh, listening to Gary on on the Impulsive podcast, I remember, by the way, what I thought was interesting, which was... They were talking about, you know, he, he, Gary's so good at gratitude and so good at, you know, being motivated by the right reasons. And he was talking about that. But then he also said, but in the same breath, like, I want to beat the shit out of you. He's like, I want to kill you. I want to destroy you. <laughs> Which knowing him is so true. Like, th th he operates on both sides of the coin. But that, uh, whatever you want to call it, motivation by anger is so real and I've been fortunate and unfortunate over the last many years to have less anger, therefore less like get after it in business. <laughs> but yeah, we we're, we're, we don't need to go into details. A random DM, like, you know, we'll just, we'll leave it at that. But just like lights up. The last time I was doing emails after nine o'clock at night, because usually do it in the morning, caffeinated, you know very epicurean, get your work done in the morning, relax a little more in the afternoon. But just, it reminded me of the 2012, 2013, 2014 days. And then reflecting on it all during cardio this morning, it, uh, it came to me that you can, like when, when I say, or when you say, or when anyone says that the reason why they're doing what they're doing is because they genuinely get joy from helping people and they want to help as many people as possible. And we get so much satisfaction from that that is 100% true. But I think of it like a car going somewhere. Like, like why, do we, why do you get in a car and go somewhere? Because you want to reach a destination. That destination is helping thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. But what makes the car run? Gasoline. And, and anger is gasoline for, I don't want to say for every person in the world, but I'm starting to see more and more data points, myself included, and with other quote unquote, you know, 
I don't even want to say like achievers, but people who work hard and have similar temperaments, we'll call it. It's, it's just, it's just a fact. And I'm done trying to like wrestle with that. And I'm just going to lean into it and lean into it. Here's a funny story. And then I'll stop rambling so much. <laughs> no, here's a funny, here's a funny story that, that, that I think zero people know, except me and Jordan. When Jordan was <laughs> becoming Gary's coach and we had that transition <laughs> period, uh, I think I was making jokes to you and maybe to a couple other people, but I think it was mostly just to you. And I was saying that I'm retired, like, cause I was done coaching Gary. I was like, I'm retired. I'm retiring. I'm retired. And then I made, <laughs> I made constantly telling post. everyone you're retiring. All your, like your close <laughs> friends, like, yeah, I'm, I'm retired now. Like I'm retired. Like you kept saying it all the time. <laughs> and then I made a post. Uh, I don't remember where or what we don't need to get into details, but, but it was, it was <laughs> like a lot of people have been saying I'm retired. I'm back. Like <laughs> that kind of thing. And while I was walking on the treadmill and I thought of that, you know, Michael Jordan making something up in his head, I've, I've seen, you know, over the years, late night cab rides with Garrett, like I've seen him do similar mindset things and it just, yeah, I'm very okay with it. So I'm glad that right now I have a little bit of real fuel, but I'm very comfortable in the near future just having fictitious gasoline to put in the tank to go hard. You're you're just ready to manufacture scenarios that that create <laughs> synthetic anger for that gasoline for you to just drive that 18 wheeler as fast as you can. <laughs> Man, you that's really, exactly right. You, that was a great analogy, by the way. Like that was a really good analogy. But I mean, yeah, wow, I like that a lot. Do you have a strategy to manufacture this anger? <laughs> I think just, take that DM that you got and just like put it up on your wall, like you said last night. And if if we want to go real personal, like I was motivated for a number of years in there by uh, like betrayal from romantic relationships. And, and now I'm just in a really good place in my life where I don't have, even if I like try and think back to something, I don't, there's no more anger there. It's like, <laughs> which is probably good for me, right? Like, but it, it has to be something else. And uh, I think it can come from random, random places. But if, if Jordan, something as good as good game, Mike, he was like, oh, I'll show him. I'll, I'm going to get him. Like, I don't think it's going to be that difficult. Okay. All right, I like that. Yeah, man. That was last night talking to you about that. I hadn't heard you that riled up in since like 2017. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. And I the thing is is it's fun because it's fun to talk to you on this podcast because it's so raw. It's so like us just having a conversation that I I make pretty like raw authentic content in general historically, but not necessarily to this level. It's almost like there's a little bit of a filter in terms of, um, you know, I don't want to say it's less truthful, but it's not like as revealing. Mm -hmm. But I know that it's it's fun for this, especially with so many coaches listening and having like the the mindset on the inside of of what it may or may not take to to push oneself in in various endeavors in life it's fun to get really raw and honest with it and i know i know similarly like you know i'm not going to i know something that has motivated you historically is when you've seen someone plagiarize you like or or i should say something that pisses you off historically yeah yeah is yeah. seeing someone plagiarize your stuff directly like word for word kind of <laughs> stuff and so there's yeah 
It's very interesting. It's actually pretty bad now, though, because now it doesn't get me as angry anymore. Now I'm just like, ah, whatever. You're desensitized? Yeah. I'm like, so many people do it. (laughs) That, and I think also it's because, like, if I got mad every time that happened now, like, I would drive myself insane. Like, I would, I would, I wouldn't be able to enjoy life at all. So I think at this point, like, I remember when it first started happening, I would make entire pieces of content about that individual plagiarizing <laughs> my content. And I would, like, go off on that person and, and, like, it ruined my entire day. And so now I'm just at a point where I'm like, all right, whatever. And also there was the other aspect of it where most of the people who I saw plagiarizing my stuff, like, they would last a couple of months and then they would pit her off. So I'd be like, all right, they're not going to make it anyway. Like, even if you plagiarize my stuff, it's still not going to work for you. But mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So it, I, I sort of think it's like, you know, the the betrayal that you had previously, like that was a big motivator for you. But now that like in your life, you don't, that person is is nothing to you. And like, you're doing so well, like it's probably like even thinking back to the exact scenario, it doesn't bother you as much. You can't get mad about it. It's the same. I think it's the same type of thing. Like if you, if you got so mad about that every day for the rest of your life, it would drive you insane. Like you, you just can't do that. Would it though? I, I mean, I would have never stopped making content. I would just, <laughs> it's this fine line between insanity and greatness. Yeah. But if, if greatness requires you to live a very unhappy life, then, you know, it, like if every day you were just so mad about that betrayal, like I don't think you could or do anything. anything. Yeah. Or, or we can even go before that because I'll I'll never forget. I can I can name I've probably done it on this podcast when we've had similar deep conversations. I can name everyone who made the Bantam B hockey team in in the year two thousand or maybe it was nineteen ninety nine. The year I got cut and had to go play against our or play on this on our crosstown rivals because we didn't have a c team because there weren't enough guys to feel the c team when i was in eighth grade like that years for years <laughs> that was like locker room material that was like oh okay like this is why i started lifting this is why like i'm gonna leapfrog every single one of these guys i'm gonna make varsity I'm gonna, like that and is that healthy probably not no but <laughs> But it worked. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yes. it's I, The gasoline makes the car drive. Do you want to get where you want to get? Okay. Do you want to walk there? Or do you want to take the car? You want to get in that 18-wheeler and just ram everybody on the road. You want to drive on roll. both sides of the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. We don't want to hurt anyone, Jordan. <laughs> don't take this analogy too Not far. directly, at least. <laughs> Man. All right. So you've got this synthetic anger. I like it. Yeah. Well, it's real anger. You're just figuring out a way to manufacture it whenever you want. When it dissipates. Yes. (laughs) Cool. I'm excited to see what happens. How was the response to your YouTube video? It was good. It was seemingly good. People, people seem to like it. (laughs) Nice. Oh my God, dude. I just had, I, I woke up like not long ago, as you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I just remembered a dream I had last night, like in this moment. Which made me, because it was talking about your video, which you spoke a lot about our book. I just had the craziest dream that like our book was, like the published copy of our book was just awful. Like the <laughs> the the cover was terrible. There were mistakes inside of it. There were pages that were printed like in the wrong direction. And <laughs> our publisher was like, I don't see the problem. And I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? You don't see the problem? And she was like, 
I was like, we have to change all of this. And she was like, if you change all of this, then we're not going to publish it. I was like, fine, we'll fucking self-publish. We don't need this. <laughs> Jeez. I, I had this huge dream. It, it, like, it got lawyers involved. Like, wow, I literally just remember. And I think it was those last dream I had before I woke up. So yeah, that just like popped into my head vividly. You know how some dreams, like you don't really fully remember? Like I remember this dream. That uh, <laughs> That makes sense because yesterday – we gave our addresses so that we can get books sent because now we actually have physical copies ready to go. Oh, did you do that for me? I didn't know we did that. Uh, did Kat do I that believe, for me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't give so them my address. So that's not why you had the dream. Well, wow, that's very interesting. But yeah, we're one month out. Pre-sale is on. You can order a copy right now. Uh, Eat it. Yeah, we'll put it we'll put it in the show notes. If you, you know, if you want to support, if you want to buy a copy of the book, we would love that. Um, but we got a month here. This first book is called Eat It. The next book is going to be called Don't Eat It. <laughs> <laughs> not really for everyone listening. The second one is not going to be called Don't Eat It, but maybe it will. It could be. It could it be. It could be. <laughs> Although you know what's interesting? I've had I've been much like you have dialed things in with increased fiber, decreased protein, like, you know. I thought you were going to be mad about me decreasing protein. I thought you were going to really. Oh, I am. I am. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm holding that for some synthetic anger later on. I'm fully, no, I'm just kidding. But really. Uh, I have been eating a diet almost exclusively of unprocessed foods for a number of weeks now. And I think, I mean, I told you I stepped on the scale the other day for the first time in months and I was kind of shocked and somewhat upset at how low my weight was relative to the amount of strength gains and seemingly amount of muscularity. But I've obviously recomped a decent amount in the last few months. I also just, I don't know, like cinnamon toast crunch is really good. Like there are a number of foods that are, so in the spirit of eat it, the last few days I've been adding more processed foods and it's just delicious. So good. So easy to overeat. It is very easy to overeat. I also think I'm a crazy meat responder. Oh yeah. 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 Like you always get, I mean, you're downstairs in your basement, just, just moving around doing like boxing and football in your basement. <laughs> but even I, I think back to when I was in a real, real surplus eating 4,600 on training day and like 4,200 on rest days. And I remember I lived by a lake at the time and I would walk around the lake like multiple times a day. <laughs> and I, thinking back on it, I thought I just wanted to listen to a podcast and go for a walk. But now it's very obvious to me. I was probably taking 30,000 steps a day because I was force feeding 800 grams of carbs. Mm, yeah. And you've always been like that. Like, for example, I could sit down and watch a movie start to finish no problem you need to stop the movie like 12 times just to get up and move. Like, yeah. like you're, yeah. you're not the guy just to sit down. Like I'm very much like my genetics are just like, sit, don't move. <laughs> you're like uh -huh. your genes are like, get up, move. You got that like Norse Viking inside of you. All right, we got to go. We got to go on the hills. We got to like get some movement in. Like <laughs> It must be. It must be. Yeah. Yeah. But eat it is book one. Yeah. Edith's book one. Oh, that was the other thing. And I think I, I don't know if I said this on the podcast. I think I was just telling you about it, how like ever since like my sleep has improved dramatically, sugar cravings have gone down like 
intensely. It's been crazy how little I've craved sugar or like any processed food when I sleep super well. Mm -hmm. We did not talk about it on the podcast. We talked about it just us and I had it on my list to talk about on the podcast. So perfect that you're bringing this up. Oh, good segue. I remember I would always, not always, I probably asked you 12 to 17 times, like if you were hungry. 12 to 1700 times, not okay, 12 maybe, to 7. Yeah, all right. All right. Maybe. <laughs> but, and I'm thinking specifically when your answer was the same. Oh yeah. And it, you didn't even address the question of whether or not you were hungry. It was always, I could eat. <laughs> I could eat. Like, that's not what I asked though. Like, did you just eat an hour ago? Are you actually hungry? I don't, if you don't have a meal right now, I don't want to make you eat. But I, I think that getting, not being in a sleep deficit, meaning you're getting plenty of sleep quality, high, high quality, high quantity sleep leads to uh, better recognition of hunger cues. Yeah. There's also the, to be fair, like if you were here right now and you're like, Hey, are you hungry? I would still probably say that I'd still be like, yeah, I could eat. I think it's like part of the social aspect and the ESTP in me where I'm like, yeah, we'll just mm. do whatever. Like I'm, I'm mm. cool with it. Like I could, I could eat, but like when I'm by myself, where like before, for example, when, when I'm by myself, I wake up in the morning, I used to like go cinnamon toast crunch. I have cinnamon toast crunch and I have oatmeal in my, in my pantry. Cinnamon toast crunch used to just be like, all right, that's the first one I'm going to grab just because like, I want that sweetness. Now it's like, no, I'm actually going to go for the oatmeal because I don't want that sweetness. And it's literally, I think it's just because I'm getting more sleep and like that there's something about it where the, the desire for sweetness has gone down since I've, I've fully been loading up on, on sleep. And I'm interested to see once the kid comes and like, if my sleep is, is hurting, if I'm more readily opting for the sweeter, higher calorie options. Mm, that will be very interesting. Your neurotransmitters right now are the most dialed they've ever been in your entire life. You're on of my sleep. <laughs> well, because of everything. Oh, yeah, you yeah. have basically no caffeine. Yeah. You do like in, in Dopamine Nation, she talks about uh, basically pr pressing into pain or doing difficult things as a way to increase our dopamine afterwards and she talks about reading a hard book or doing like intense activity all of this cardio you're doing all this lifting all this jujitsu your sleep is dialed you're like i just said not ingesting caffeine sugars down like your brain is a wonderful i mean your your uh, dopamine from social media is pr probably uh still there but other than that like you're a real specimen Dude, you want to hear something funny? I've never even told you this. I've never told anyone this. I just had this like this random flashback to a memory. It was when you said doing hard things, right? So this is so funny. I just had this random memory. I haven't thought about this in years. So when I was a high school wrestler and I was cutting a lot of weight, um, I used, and this is by no outside influence. I would just do this because like my family didn't have the best nutritional habits. We always had junk food in the house, all that stuff. I would come home after wrestling practice and there would be like cookies and I would literally take a cookie to my room and I would just put it on my desk and I would just look at it and I wouldn't let myself eat it. Right. Cause like I'm cutting weight for wrestling, but I thought like I was going to get stronger just by like, I'm going to have this cookie in my room and just look at it. And I would do that. And then I would throw it out. And I was, and I remember being like, and now I'm stronger. Cause like I said, no, like this is like disordered eating, whatever Jordan in, in high school. But like, I was like, man, that actually was like 
real like willpower to like I'm cutting weight. I'm like, there's no way I can eat this or whatever it is. And I just bring it to my room. It's like someone who's addicted to cigarettes, like just buying a pack and leaving it on their bedside table, just like to see how strong they are. It's like a really crazy thing when you think about it. <laughs> it is, but I also love it. <laughs> it's, you know, we if you think about the marshmallow test and you think mm. about willpower being a finite resource, that hypothesis, we'll call it, and the kids that were most successful at resisting the temptation of the marshmallow so they could get a second one were the ones that like closed their eyes or occupied their attention doing something else. Like that whole thesis that we have a tank of willpower and that once it's depleted, it's harder for us to make good decisions. I think there may be research on this. I don't know, but I, it seems to me intuitively that that tank of willpower can also be, uh, we can increase the size of it by training it. Yeah. Yep. There is research on this. Is there? Okay. Yeah. Great. There's a, a book, I think it's called Willpower by Baumeister. It's all about how you can increase willpower. Mm, very cool. Like doing, doing simple things. For example, one of the things is like, um, I remember I read this book in college. And um, let me see what the name of this book is. But one of the things was just doing things that are more difficult when they don't really have to be. So for example, one of the things that they tested in research was brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand. Mm. Doing something like that, it makes it way more difficult than it has to be. But forcing yourself to do that on a regular basis, it's going to take more time. It's going to be a little bit more annoying. But doing something like that can over time increase the tank of your willpower. I, I don't remember the exact scenario, but I had a client who uh, basically his wife or girlfriend, I don't, I don't remember. I actually don't remember who it was, but I just remember I was struggling with it too at the time, which was there was a lot more food and types of food around than he was used to having. And, uh, and then, you know, that was leading to more temptation, more snacking, more going over calories, macros, et cetera. And I helped him reframe it as an opportunity or a test to increase his willpower by looking at it like, you know, how do you get stronger doing hard sets of something, thinking it, of it as an opportunity to like, okay, this is around, I'm actually going to strengthen this muscle. When I see it, I'm, I'm going to think about, okay, this is, this is an opportunity. This is a test. This is somewhere where I can improve. I love that. Alex Viata said something recently to me that I liked a lot where I was about to do, it was a couple months ago, I was about to do like a max heart rate test. And I was not excited about it. And I was like, this is going to suck. And he basically said something to the effect of like, how lucky are we that we can, um, that we can willingly put ourselves through suffering and, and know that it's actually going to make us better as a result of it. I was like, man, what a great way to frame suffering. It is suffering, but you're willingly putting yourself through it, knowing that it's going to make you better in the long run, as opposed to a suffering where you're not choosing to go through it and it's not necessarily going to make you better. But like, this is something that you get to do. Like part of your day is you're, you're giving yourself the opportunity to suffer so that on the other end, you'll come out better. I was like, man, that's a great way to frame that. See, that's, that's enlightened. That's yeah. like, that's, <laughs> I would just think about the person who said something to motivate me to do the, the <laughs> test. That, that's like a real, like, be like godly, like, spiritual enlightened perspective yeah 
Yeah. Oh, and the book is called Willpower, Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength by Baumeister. B-A-U-M-E-I-S-T-E-R. Great book. Great book. Awesome. Cool, man. What is that? A high fiber tortilla? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mission carb balance tortillas. These things have 45 calories a piece and 10 grams of fiber. Well, baby. Getting it. Getting it. We have a new, a new, what do we want to call this segment on the podcast that we're introducing mm. today? I didn't know so, this what you were going to talk. I was like, I don't know. It's a, it's a working title. <laughs> I didn't either. Just <laughs> the business question of the day. So as you know, if you've been listening, uh, there, there have been episodes where despite the fact that this is a, a podcast about how to become a better coach, how to help your clients get better results how to build your online coaching business. Uh, episodes go by where we don't talk about business, and <laughs> which, which is still fun. However, we're going to have a standing segment where there will be at least one business question and answer within every episode, sometimes more, but at least one. So today we have the business question of the day. Tony, big time listener of the podcast, Tony said... My current company will not let me train people online on my own. I'm currently training some people online. I have four clients in my first month, which is crazy. Good for you, Tony. Four, four clients. Four online your, clients? Yeah, that's that's unheard of, actually. Holy so, shit. That's really yeah. impressive. Uh, took me over a year to have four online coaching clients. However, I am limited in what I can put on social media, if anything at all, because my contract does not allow me to train people on my own outside of the gym. I've started a blog, currently have an email list. Any tips on how to build a client base without social media? Thank you, guys. Your content has been extremely helpful and taught me a ton. Well, this place that you're working for sucks just right off yep. the bat. And I'm sorry you're going through that. What I would do is I would continue to post and I would just keep doing it. Uh, it was funny because one of the places that I worked was was very similar. They weren't happy with the stuff that I was posting, but I was a great coach. So they weren't firing me. And they, they had a lot of people who like depended on me and a lot of the clients loved me. And they were like, all right, we can't fire this guy. So I just kept posting. And then I would get called in the boss's office. I remember one time I got reamed out because my boss loved Bulletproof Coffee. He loved the whole putting butter in your coffee shtick. He was all about it. And so I wrote a huge article on my website about why Bulletproof Coffee is fucking stupid. And I blasted it all over my social media and everyone at the gym saw it and they were all talking about it. And my boss pulled me in. He's like, you can't write articles like that. And I was like, why not? And he was like, because I promote this here. I was like, well, this it's my website. It's not at the gym. He's like, but everyone saw it. I was like, it's the truth. You're putting like 500 calories of fucking butter in your coffee and telling people who are struggling with their weight to do that. Like, what is wrong with you? Um, and then and I ended up leaving the gym of my own volition about six months later just because I was like I had enough online clients and I didn't need it anymore. So the reality is if you're a really, really good coach, odds are they're probably not going to fire you even if you still post on social media. Now, I wouldn't do stuff like um, – actively talk about the gym, especially by name on social media. I wouldn't say, hey, if you're a client of this XYZ gym, da, da, da. but I would just post educational content. I, I would just keep posting educational content and helping people. 
And you know, worst comes to worst, they do fire you. But I mean, you've already got four online coaching clients. And I would imagine that more people from the gym would come on with you as an online coaching client if you left. Um, but the reality is the best gym owners in the world want their coaches to build online presences. They want their coaches to be able to build an online presence to get online coaching clients. They want you to succeed. So for this gym to not want you to do that speaks volumes about them. And I would say leave them as quickly as you possibly can. And that might mean staying on with them for another year while you continue to post content. Um, but I, I would I would do that. I would just n- do not stop. I would go harder post more content, post more educational material and help people. And, uh, and if they say anything, listen, I'm more than happy to help with the gym social media as well. Like I'll help you make content for you, but this is important. Like it's not interfering with the gym. I'm not taking clients from the gym. I'm just posting because it's reaching people all over the world. So that's what I would say. Yeah. That's easier said than done for many. Um, I, I think number one, get a new job go to a different gym. Like, like you said, that can't happen overnight, but start interviewing at the very least. And you don't necessarily need to take that job. I mean, you can, if you find a new position, that's a really good fit with better culture, better manager, gym owner, uh, you can jump ship. We'll call it right away, but you can also just use that opportunity as leverage to continue posting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that's, the long and the short of it is what not to do is continue working at this gym, stop posting because, you know, your boss is an idiot and said you had to stop posting and think of ways to get online coaching clients without being anywhere on the internet. That's not the way to do this. Um, find another gym and either go work there or use that as leverage for if you do have a conversation where your boss is like, okay, either you're fired or you need to stop posting and then you can go to your other job. Yeah. And this reminds me of something else to say, especially for all the young coaches out there or, or not young coaches, like whoever, if you're going to work at a gym or anywhere and someone asks you to sign a non-compete, do not sign a non-compete ever. It is not worth that job if they force you to sign a non-compete because if they're going to make you sign one, then it, I, I know people who had non-competes and then they like couldn't do online coaching for like six months to a year after they left that gym because of the stipulations of that non-compete. Wow. So do not sign that. I actually, I'm not going to say him by name. One of my friends uh, who's in the coaching world, he still does a lot of in-person coaching. He initially signed a non-compete and he was really mad about it. So it, during the closed office, when the, op- when the gym was closed, he went back in, he snuck in, he stole his non-compete and tore it up. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, I was such a stupid mistake. Like he didn't know. And then when they started to like pressure him, like, hey, you signed a non-compete, then he just went and took it. And then they were like, you signed it. He was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and they couldn't find it. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> so gym owners listening, definitely uh, get a digital copy of that as well and start on your. <laughs> Even then though, like if you're a gym owner, don't make your client, your, your, your coaches sign a non-compete. It's a really I- shitty thing to do. I, 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 if I was a gym owner, I would a hundred percent make my coaches sign a non-compete and not enforce it for them to go, uh, like if they want to go make content or go do coaching on their own or go work at another gym or work in the area, I would never enforce it in those scenarios, but so that I had at least leverage for legal repercussion if they stole clients from the gym when they left for that reason, I would. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think from a moral perspective, I also would not, Tony, for, 
because you asked this question, if you end up leaving the gym, I wouldn't take the clients from the gym with you. And and I know there's debate about that. It's just like as a matter of principle. Yeah, it's it's not something I would do. What if, let me ask you this. What if the gym has terrible coaching and they're not doing well by their clients and you know that you'll be able to give their clients a better service? Would you still not take those clients or would you leave them at the more dangerous gym? I mean, if there's a trolley headed toward uh, a, three kids tied to a track um, and you could pull a lever and make the trolley go a different direction, but there's one old man tied to the track, should you pull the lever? Yes. You see, it's a, it's a, it's like a <laughs> philosophical, moral <laughs> question that doesn't have a right or wrong answer that geniuses have been debating for decades. What would you say to that question? That's an interesting one. I have no idea. I, I would say that I don't know what the right no, answer is. No, you can't is. say that. You have to choose yes or no. Do you pull it? Old man versus three young kids. I would, I would find a way to <laughs> save everyone. <laughs> it's sad, but like just straight up, I would pull the lever. And, and by the way, if I was the old man, I would want them to pull the lever so that I would die to save three young kids. Obviously, easier said when I'm not in that situation. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, in that situation, you're like, let my kids die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Taking the real moral high ground on They're this They're stupid one. kids anyway. <laughs> I'm like, when, you're, when, when we're in our 60s doing this podcast, I'm going to remind you of this episode and be like, okay, George, you can sacrifice yourself. Or... It's, there's something about you taking action like letting nature run its course versus you taking action well no because i very much believe like you know um when there's a dangerous situation what's the first thing to do save the women and children right and i very much think that's part of like the man's responsibility is like i think that's toxic of, masculinity bro <laughs> <laughs> i think that's part of being a good man is like taking responsibility to help save the other people i do Yep, and yep. that that is toxic masculinity. It is. It's like and we should be shamed for that and canceled for it, right? But we should like, be canceled so hard for even discussing <laughs> this. <laughs> so, like, obviously, it's it's uh, oh, well, I guess you know, male privilege, right? <laughs> 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 but like, I think it was uh, part of the the man's responsibility is to save the uh, other people. So, like, that's where I come from with that. Um, By the way, that isn't toxic masculinity. That is the the. That is the good and noble side of masculinity. Oh, if we want to get, I don't even think toxic masculinity exists. There, there's positive and negative masculinity. Ne Correct. There's yeah. positive and negative to, to no, everything. Uh, to everything. Yeah. I don't think there's such a thing as toxic masculinity. I, I don't, I think we can, I think we can to just be call it negative. I don't even think, cause I don't think masculinity can be negative. I think the negative things that people associate it with it are, are not masculine. Like someone who's like a, just like a, I don't know what, what's a negative trait of a, of a guy, like what, like controlling, we'll say control, like overly controlling. Right. Okay. I wouldn't say that has anything to do with being masculine. I just, I think that's actually a lack of masculinity. I think that's more like someone being controlling is actually them showing that they're not uh, a uh, a confident man. Like I think masculine means you're courageous, you're loyal, you're, uh, you're 
protective, but you're not overly controlling, right? So I think anything where someone is like, oh, that's toxic masculinity. No, what you're describing is it's not masculine at all. Like I think masculine is all positive. I think feminine is all positive, but the negative traits are not aspects of those two things. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense, except that what you think the word means isn't necessarily, and by the way, I'm basing this off of Maps of Meaning, Jordan Peterson's work, which is based a lot on Carl Jung's work. And he talks about the good and bad side of masculinity. And so if masculinity is like, we can think of it as traits like strength, power, um, you can use these for good or bad things. You, and we talked about this on the podcast maybe a year ago. You can use uh, strength and power and competency either to bully someone or to defend someone from a bully. Mm, and that yeah, would yeah, be yeah. like the good and bad side of masculinity. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. But but I'm with you. The way that that we... They, it's it's been I want to defend masculinity in general too because it's been so bastardized by you know s- current western culture over the last handful of years mm-hmm. but those are the de- that's the working definition that uh that I'm I'm using and it's hard because it's not like rooted in in uh any of the hard sciences it's more rooted in like mythology and anthropology and and culture yeah. So with all that said, I would take the clients. <laughs> <laughs> There's even I, I you make a good point where it's like, okay, are they doing a good job with their clients? But that partly it's, I feel like we can rationalize that in any like yeah it's I there's do, some mental they, gymnastics there. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a slightly better coach and we'll give them a better service and therefore there's there's well, so the many gym that I worked at like they were bad like they were I mean they were doing bulletproof coffee so uh, you, know. you know what that's a valid point and the gym that I worked at that I left was doing good by their clients and the programming was intelligent and and safe and uh and i also felt a sense of gratitude for the opportunity to work there that that made me not want to take from i don't know yeah that makes sense you're just morally better than me i get it <laughs> john snow <You> t- <laughs> <laughs> oh He's so good. No, I'm definitely not even close. Um, What do we got? You got any more questions? Let's see. Is it true the magic happens after 20 minutes of cardio? I I don't know what magic we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair. That's a fair question. Yeah. All right. Um, well, when did the anger start to seep in during your cardio? You know what? They might be onto something with the magic. <laughs> they might be onto something <laughs> right around the 20 minute mark, I believe. Uh, foam rolling. How often and what are the benefits? Let her rip, Jordan. Honestly, um, I know there's a lot of debate around it. Uh, there's a lot of people who are like, it doesn't work. It's just placebo. And Frankly, I would probably, I would agree that it is probably mostly placebo, especially from like a soft tissue perspective, but I don't really care, right? It's sort of like, let's say if, if you have a client 
who's taking a sugar pill and they think that sugar pill is something that's going to help them resolve their back pain. And as soon as they start taking that sugar pill, their back pain is gone. Cool. Take the fucking sugar pill. I don't care if, if you thinking that it's helping is helping then great. In the same way that nocebo, uh, something where if you think something is going to cause pain and it shouldn't, but then all of a sudden now it starts to cause pain. Like we need to stop doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether or not it's physiologically causing pain, it's psychologically psychologically causing that. We need to address that. I don't care if it's placebo. If it makes you feel better and you have time for it, go for it. Amazing. Um, when when you say it probably doesn't work, do you mean relative? Do you mean soft tissue work in general, or do you mean that it just isn't uh, like relative to using a softball or a, a lacrosse ball or some other device where you can get in deeper and go harder? A foam roller doesn't work. That's a really good question. I, what I'm talking about is a lot of people say that foam rolling or even rolling with a softball or whatever causes like structural changes to the tissue. And it appears that it doesn't do that, but that just because it's not causing a structural change doesn't mean that. I mean, it's very clear that if I, if I don't foam roll versus if I do foam roll, I will immediately have a a greater range of motion after I foam roll, even though there isn't a structural change. Now that could be placebo. It could, there could be a lot of other effects going on within the tissues that are allowing that, that, um, increased range of motion. So I do think there's benefit. I think there's also the question of, well, what if you just did a mobility drill? Would you get the same amount of mobility increase, um, without having to go through the pain of foam rolling? Uh, so for me, it's very much up to the individual. If they like it, great. If they don't like it, then we don't have to do it. We can find another way. I do think one of the cool things about soft tissue work is sometimes you can you can increase range of motion at a joint or somewhere without taking the muscle through uh, or even close to an end range of motion, right? So this is one of the cool things I learned working with baseball players at Cressy Performance, doing some soft tissue work with, with like elite, elite level baseball players we were able to increase their shoulder range of motion without ever taking their shoulder anywhere near a terminal end range of motion, which was much safer for them. So it, it improved their ability without actually potentially damaging the joint. And I think that's, that's very beneficial, but we're not talking about elite athletes. We're talking about general population for, I'd say it's probably about 50, 50, my clients who use it and who don't use it. Some, they just feel better. It's like a little bit of a self massage and they, they like how they feel. And other people are like, I've got to get in and out of the gym in 27 minutes and I'm not wasting five minutes on that. So I'm like, cool, don't do it. So it really is up to personal preference. Yeah. That's, that's a great, uh, concise answer. I, I agree with anecdotally the benefit of using it during a warm up to, temporarily access a greater range of motion, which is going to lead to a more effective and safer weight training session. Um, and so I have clients who use it for that purpose. I myself use it for that purpose. Uh, occasionally I actually, in the last six months, I've foam rolled less than I had in the previous decade. You were always foam rolling at your apartment when I was over. You always had that foam roller out. I was doing T-spine extensions on it and rolling your when back. I, when, I was, when I was an accountant, this goes back to the two plus two poker forums. When I was an accountant, hunched over my computer in a closet, auditing a public company, working 14 hour days with four other interns with me in the closet with the worst posture ever, shortened hips, rounded upper back, 
And then I was doing all this overhead work and I couldn't figure out why my overhead press was so weak and why it hurt. I couldn't figure out why pull-ups and chin-ups were starting to get pinchy up in my neck. And it was just, I was a hunchback. And I think this was 2010. I, I found foam rolling for the first time um, through the two plus two poker forums when, really? a guy respond, when a guy responded to me with an article from, I think it was a T Nation article by Cressy and Mike Robertson. Oh yeah. 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 Was it their like their posture one? No, it was about a, it was about foam rolling. Oh, it was about foam rolling. I was thinking it was their Neanderthal No More series, which was like one of the best series of all time. I think I think it was feel better for five bucks or something oh, wow. along those lines. Th- yeah, wow, man, those long form articles. You remember the title of the article? That's so good. And uh, and basically, I just started foam rolling my T spine and then doing extensions over the foam roller with it. And and that, I mean, it allowed me to access greater ranges of motion temporarily, but then uh, also through conscious, you know adjusting of my posture allowed me to stay in those ranges of motion, which made various exercises less dangerous and feel better. And and so, yeah, it's not the end all be all. If you want to do it, go for it. Feel better for 10 bucks. Ah, that's the name, man. That's so good. What wow. When was that written? That was written on July 12th, 2004. It was published. Animals. Wow. 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 That's crazy, man. They've been at it for a long time. <laughs> All right, Mike, I got a good question. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So this person wanted to know, um, do I have to do big launches in order to have a successful business? And I think mm. what they mean what they mean is like, we see a lot of people having these like big launches, like once a year where they try and get like either more clients or sell more products. Like, do you, do you have to launch, like have these big, big, big launches in order to have a successful online business? What do you think? Uh, No, you don't have to. And, and my mind goes to, because there's, there's a few, there's a few things going on here. You can have a big launch and there's companies that do this, who have a big launch either once a year or maybe twice a year. And then are not accepting whether it's clients for a service, whether it's it's a course, whatever it is. But basically, then they close registration mm-hmm. until the next launch. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's one model. One is where you can have continuous enrollment in your coaching program in in whatever it is, but then also have a launch once a year, twice a year, three times a year, whatever it is. Uh, or you can essentially never launch. And only have continuous enrollment, which also works. And and there's pros and cons to all of the above. In my online coaching business, uh, I have never done a launch. I never did a hard sell for my one-on-one online coaching. Even when like you just started. Even when I just started. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you you never were like, hey, taking on new clients, any of that. No. Wow. Never. Never Everyone just flocked to you. They're like, Michael, take my money. I, that's absolutely not true because in my first basically year of having my business, and that doesn't count the six months before when I was like, you know, getting the website stuff figured out, getting it up, like the back end, getting five articles written and ready to go and basically procrastinating, dicking around a little bit. But, uh, I had like, like $40 in revenue in the first year and no clients. Mm. It was one program that I sold. So no, um, and you had How, you, you had money saved from your previous job that allowed you to 
to like not be like so worried about trying to make more money in that time, right? Correct. And I also lived in a closet and like didn't eat out for two years and didn't spend any money whatsoever. Yeah. And so yeah, that yeah. was that was beneficial. I, I would buy eggs by the gross. Do you know what a gross is? No, it's a gross. 144. You could Shut buy up. a gross of eggs for seven bucks from Costco in 2012. 144 eggs. Mm-hmm. How would you carry all of those? <laughs> With my muscles. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of box does I need to look that up on Google? It's so I'll explain it to you. It's a six by six carton. So you had 36 eggs and then the cartons were stacked on top of one another. So that's what, like five of them, I believe. And then it was saran wrapped all around. Holy shit. <laughs> um, and, and so just because you're not launching doesn't mean you're not selling. You're soft selling. You're making a useful Facebook video where in the video you talk about someone who you helped who saw success. And this is part of the reason we advocate working with clients for free early on is one experience, two, you become a better coach, three, helps you build your systems, but four, then you have testimonials, which are going to be beneficial and, and things you can talk about. So hard selling is a a launch, which you can talk about more here, Jordan, but soft selling is soft mentions that open people's eyes and ears to the fact that you offer this service with, without actually right hooking them and telling them or asking them to join it, but just letting them know that it exists and the people who do the service see incredible results. But I'm not necessarily asking you to join it. I'm just making you aware of it in this post where the point of this post is to help you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and, the vast majority of, of what I've done and, and obviously what you've done is soft mentions, which is how we've built our business. I will say, I think the people who, one group of people who can really benefit from launching are people early on in their coaching career um, who really need to get clients on so they can start making money or else they're not going to be able to pay the bills, right? So if, if you really need to get more people in your coaching program, you will get more people in more quickly with a launch than compared to a soft mention, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Like if I, if I, if you are at the mall and I just walk by you and I, and you hear me mention general Tso's chicken, that might make you think about it, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go get it. Whereas if you pass a stand saying like, Hey, here, take this free, free, a bite of General Tso's chicken and you'll get 30% off your meal if you get this General Tso's chicken, you're way more likely to actually get the General Tso's chicken once you've tasted it and then you've actually, you know, you're going to get a discount on it versus just hearing someone mention it as you walk by. Mm -hmm. So yes. the, the launch will help you get more people, especially early on and especially if you are uh, in need of getting more clients more quickly. So um, with that being said though, once you once you have enough clients to where you don't need or necessarily want to take on any more, maybe you're just starting to make a wait list, it's probably best to not be launching because now you don't need more clients. So like the point of launching the point of launching is to get more clients. So if you don't need any more, don't do it. It's still worth soft mentioning it in your posts and your videos like you know, one thing I was talking about with my online coaching clients was X, Y, and Z, or my online coaching client, Stacy asked me this question. I wanted to bring it up. Da, 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 da. These are soft dimensions that allow people to know 
that you work with people in an online capacity and that it's not just in person. And if they want to work with you, then they could probably email you or DM you and find out more about it. That's what a soft mention is. And, and it's always worth doing that just to make people aware of it. But in terms of hard selling, like, hey, I have five spots available or, hey, I'm running a 30% off discount, whatever it is, that's something that really for a one-on-one -on -one perspective, you should only be doing if and when you need more clients. Now, there is also a huge caveat to that where I see some people launching um, every month. Hey, like taking on two new people or like, hey, 30% off, like every month. It's like, that's too much. It's way too much. I think at most, it should be like once every three to four months, like maximum, you should do that type of a launch because it gets annoying. They get desensitized to it. You want it to be something special when they actually do see it. it even if you do need more clients, I still wouldn't do it once a month. Like it's, it's too much. Once every three to four months is plenty. Um, and, and this also goes for if you're not doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, you have more of a membership option or you're launching a product. Still same thing. Like once every three to four months at most, uh, when you do a launch for a discount or whatever it is. And if you want more people to buy that product or service, it's a really good option, but you don't need it at all to be successful. Great explanation. There's also something to be said for not ever needing more clients. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's difficult, obviously, but it's very possible. I mean, it's possible just through, you know, if you're launching your online coaching business, also getting an in-person coaching job, not only for the experience, but also to pay the bills because it puts you in a position of abundance. And when you operate from a position of abundance, rather than a position of scarcity, your behavior is going to be different. Yeah. When you need three new clients in the next two weeks, otherwise you can't pay your rent coming up. That's a really bad position to be in. And your business behavior is going to map the position you're in. You're, you're not setting yourself up for success. Whereas having a little bit of savings plus doing whatever other kind of work that you need to do, ideally in-person coaching, but whatever you need to do so that you do have cash coming in so that you can build your business the right way. This isn't to say don't launch. I completely agree that launching is extremely beneficial, especially early on, but it is to say it's better to launch knowing that if you get zero clients, that's okay. And like you can still eat next month. You know, you're not in that uh, treacherous of a position. Right. And, and yeah, I completely agree. When when you launch, you, the last thing you want to do is launch based on a whim or, or launch just like you got, you had three clients cancel. So you're going to launch. That's a terrible idea. Yeah. Like, and, and you can always tell when people are doing that, when like all of a sudden their content just goes straight towards sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up. Like no one is doing that if they're in a good place. No one is going all of a sudden from, from nothing to trying to sell, 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 sell out of nowhere if they're in a good place financially. And people can smell that and it's not, it's not a good look. What, what you want to do is if you're going to launch, you want to prep people for it. You want to let them know, hey, this is coming. I'm really excited about it. And like give them at least two to four weeks advance notice. Like, hey, I'm going to be launching this. I'm going to be like releasing this. I'm super excited about it. This is how we structure it in the mentorship. Like we have entire uh, a massive launch course. And then every like four months or so, we'll we'll put the mentorship, the people in the mentorship through a launch in which they they learn how to do it and they learn how to set it up. They learn how to write sales copy for it and all of that. You don't just want to lose a few clients and then try and launch because 
it, your behavior has changed. People can tell it doesn't look good. So it's something you want to prepare for ahead of time, not something you want to do on a whim. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and good to know what you just pointed out, which is if someone is launching all the time, things aren't going amazing for that person because mm. especially when we're getting started, we compare ourselves to our peers more and we look to our peers uh, behavior cues as like, how should I be acting? And we've had coaches, people in the mentorship or other coaches come to us and say like, I feel like I need to be doing more. I feel like I need to be launching more. I feel like I need more programs or courses or, you know, I see this person and this person and they, they have two open spots this month and then they're launching a new product the next month and the next month they're launching something else. And on the surface that looks like success, that looks like they have a lot of things going on. But like you just mentioned, if someone is launching super high frequency or launching a lot of different things it it uh, isn't a good sign for what's going on underneath the hood. It's actually funny because if someone has a successful launch, oftentimes they, they don't want to work at all for a little while. <laughs> we just had someone in the mentorship, I'm not going to say their name, just had someone in their launch made over 40K in their most recent launch and they're going to take the summer off. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're going to relax. Like they're, they're going to obviously work with the clients they took on, but they're going to take the summer away from a lot of work, which is mm -hmm. like, that's what happens when you have a really successful launch. Like, okay, cool. I can relax a little bit as opposed to the people who are like launching, 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 launching. And it's so funny because usually what they'll do is they'll be like, uh, they'll, they'll be like, oh, so glad. Like all those people took advantage of my last launch, like have all that, like making amazing progress with those clients. And now we're going to do another launch. It's like, no, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or you wouldn't I have know capacity and energy to be doing exactly, this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And be careful with the, with the, I'm only taking on two new clients stuff because like it's, if you're not actually just taking on two new clients and you're just saying that it gets old really quick and it might work the first time, might work the second time, might even work the third time. But the more you do it, the more obnoxious it gets and the more people like really understand what it is you're doing. Um, not, not a huge fan of, of like just only taking on two more. And you know what else I'm not a fan of? And this is going to get some people mad. I've seen a lot of these like big mastermind groups saying this, like, I hate it when I see people like in their, in either in a launch or in their Instagram bio, they're like, I only work with, with like women between 27 and 32 who make six figures and are high achievers and want to lose. Like, I'm like, why are you saying like, why is it that specific? Are you telling me that if, if a woman who was 40 came to you and she didn't make that much money and like, she like didn't want to like get stage lean, she just wanted to get healthier. You wouldn't take her on. Like, come on, stop, stop it. Like you can, you just say like, if you only work with, like I help women lose fat, build muscle and feel more confident. That's way better than like being so ultra specific with this stuff. It just looks manufactured and obnoxious, but that's just my opinion. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. It looks manufactured. It's also, I don't think it's niching down that hard is not good for business. Yeah. I mean, I know people disagree. I just, it doesn't, definitely doesn't make sense in fitness. The, the, taking on two clients we make fun of in the book. I forgot about that until I was did doing we? the audio book. Yeah, we did. <laughs> well, we, we said, we were like mocking. We're like, and you see someone posting two new, of taking on two new clients, like, and then in parentheses, they're taking on more than two new clients. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It also, you, you said it perfectly. Like people, the first time it's going to work, but people can sniff it out over time and it hurts your reputation. Yeah. Like 
Reputation is the game because reputation is longevity. Reputation will allow you to take years off and continue to maintain your business. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, SEO too, obviously. But if you burn all your bridges, like you're, you're killing your brand. Yeah, that's exactly right. Great episode. That was sick. Sick episode, bro. I know. We're going to look <laughs> back on, what is this, 78, something like that? What should we title this episode? Toxic masculinity? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to pre-order our book, you can do that at the link in the show notes. Is it pre-order, Mike, or is it just regular order? I believe it's still pre-order because the you'll actually receive it on June 6th or 7th. However, our publisher really wants us to get some pre-orders. So if you could uh, support Jordan and I by picking up a copy from the link in the description, that would be excellent. Or if you want to join the mentorship and or if you want to join the mentorship, that'd be great as well. It's people are crushing it in there. We're like just beyond stoked with everyone. So everyone in the mentorship, we love you. And, uh, and that's it. Have an amazing day. And we will talk to you very soon. Bye, everyone.